And welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Ah! Wow. Well, um... Cleric? It's probably shouldn't drive time at, oh. here at the Dicer Screaming. Man, this early shift is killing me. Oh, man. Well, yeah, it's morning zoo, so how the heck are you guys doing out there? Or folks. Gamerlandia? Yeah. Um, here almost. It's almost that time of the year. Yeah, it's almost Christmas time. Yeah. Holy snot, it's Christmas. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like crap out. Yes. I, hey, love Christmas. Not loving the weather. Cold as can be and worse to come yet. But yeah, it's headed that way. It, it is, in fact, going to be a snowy, snow-covered Christmas here in Michigan. So, hey, thankful for what we can get. Uh, that said, uh, I, I got to say... I'm looking forward to the end of like warehouse-based craziness, uh, you know, mm. <laughs> and in just like less than a week, less than a week countdown, I will finally be going back to living like a sane, rational, normal human being, which of course is total artifice in my case because yeah, I was going to say not what, any what of those things, uh, but I like living the lifestyle, so. <laughs> I can't wait to like wake up in the morning and make proper breakfasts and go to bed at a decent hour at night. Uh, and that will be all mine soon, which means our podcasting schedule will become somewhat, you know, visibly more uh, dependable, you know, a lot more secure and at more normative hours. So look well, yeah, forward completely to trans- uh, uh, transparent to our listeners out there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been rough for us personally. But anyway... You would expect no less from... Oh, we are but the loutish churls of gaming podcasting. <laughs> I don't even know what that word means. Loutish churls? Oh, I no, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm just being so. a Philistine. I, I'm just using that to, you know, like those classic Gygaxian terms of yesteryear. Well, we are loutish churls. Yeah. That exactly defines it. So, uh, we have a good podcast lined up for you. This is kind of a... a a trip down memory lane, a little bit of nostalgia poisoning for you. Nostalgia is poisoning. Still on to that, but yeah, this is, a, this is a look back to one of the great days of Dragon Magazine, and maybe we'll start doing that part. Let us know what you think about this episode after it's done, and if you have a listen with it. But before we tantalize you, we have to also uh, give you a forecast for what's in store. So next week, we'll be talking about... Oh, you, you've conjured the Alveromancer? I have not, but... Now we must consult with the divination. Give us an augury. Okay. Perform one. I listen carefully to the future. And I behold the RuneQuest starter set. Yeah, Yeah. finally fell into our grubby little paws. Yeah. Of the two loudest churls. We're going to give it. I, like loudest churls we may be, but we have a copy. We do. So, <laughs> we have swags, <laughs> and we will flee with it. <laughs> and there's nothing they can do. Yeah, we're gonna do it. Break apart and uh, talk about uh, what this means. It's one of the better sets I think we've seen, but we don't want to reveal too much before that. No, no, no big giveaways. Uh, like the actual examination of it will take place next week. Yeah, and we might even talk about a couple supplements to use with it and some ideas about incorporating it in the greater scheme of things. But you'll have to wait till next week to find out about that. 
So that'll be after Christmas. So hopefully you have some nice gamer treats under the tree. And if you do have any ideas that you would like us to review, well, of course you can always yeah give us a shout. Yeah, give us a shout or send us one of them their emails or uh, well, do we have an email account yet? No, I have my. But you know you can uh, actually get on our uh, Facebook page and uh, leave a comment there or send it to us in private message, and we'll uh, we'll bring it up and we'll we'll kick it around. Hopefully oh, not. Yeah, and all of you, everyone who uh, you know catches this podcast to know that we are wishing you a wonderful holiday. I hope the entire season has been good to everyone. Yeah, I hope you have a good, happy, merry Christmas and a happy New Year as well. But we'll be there for our New Year's show next week. So we're also going to have a little bit of uh, reminiscing after the first of the year. So that's going to be uh, in shades of things to come, but yet have to be foretold. Yeah, once we really launch into, uh, you know, 2023 proper will be will be doing the the proper retrospective uh so that's a couple of weeks down the road but you know that anything too far away is subject to potential change once the elveromancer has spoken that's it that's what you get so here we're looking at the contents of dragon magazine many long years ago uh, what year was this particular issue published Oh yeah, we're going to be looking at Dragon number 59. This is, it has both a traveler adventure and a story in it. Uh, the cover here just features some great Holloway art. Not the biggest fan of Holloway for fantasy, although I do have my moments uh, where I do truly enjoy his fantasy hey, artwork. Great his science, science fiction and paranoia is absolutely perfect for Like he was born onto it. And that cover really loves the uh, vintage advertisements we're looking at here in the old Dragon magazine. Oh yeah, the, the, but March ICE Iron Crown Enterprise. Oh yeah, always on the front cover or under the front cover title page. Yep, uh, March nineteen eighty-two. It's Dragon magazine. Now, for those of you, uh, I, I this is where I wanted to do my little take. Sure, um, take it away, sir. On the science fiction story contained within, which. Uh, this did not continue to be a regular practice, uh, you know. They always had fiction and dragon. Yeah. Um, it, it, the time eventually came that some of it uh, winged. Like, this didn't last until, like, the last days of dragon. It became, you know, very much more article-oriented mm-hmm. uh, and less pure fiction-oriented. Uh, whereas, like, here in these more historic dragon magazines, you see the kind of fiction that was not uncommon then uh, Skitterbugging by Gene O'Neill and I I want to give it some praise uh, specifically that it literally embodied the tropes that made Star Trek great yeah and you know the the classic uh, juxtaposition of like the explorers encountering something that they don't understand and being driven into conflict with it you know, at great difficulty to themselves. This was, I I think, a big staple, a big portion of what we consider great science fiction at the time is like the, and in fact, uh, look at Aliens. I mean, which, (laughs) or Alien, the original movie. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's, it's just an unfortunate encounter where nobody expected things to turn out as horrifically as they did. And in this, in Skitterbugging, uh, it's a geographical survey team that is not, and I want to be very specific here, 
The story is not set in the Traveler universe proper. It is a science fiction story by Gene O'Neill, and it stands alone.、Uh, the characters from that story are then given the Traveler treatment, with their skills and like stats roughly translated、uh, for use in Traveler. Should the readers and enjoyers of the story wish to do something like that.、Uh, but You know, like the two things are totally separate. So, <laughs>、uh, and to give a window into Skitterbugging,、um, it is about an encounter with an alien life form.、Uh, that it's quite an. I, I thought it was a very original. Yeah,、take. it it,、uh, it would become a little tropish towards the end, but、yeah. it was a hive mind、uh, that, by the sum of its parts, is made greater. But it has a single sentience. Just to survive, a will to survive, that gives us its sentience. That is not maybe true intelligence in the fact that can develop cultures and reading and、uh, language. Yeah, maybe not that. But, But it has the same type of intelligence to survive and adapt that other sentient life forms have, and they have a character that is a psionicist, a telepath, specifically. And again, this takes us back to the classic tropes of Star Trek, with the、uh, you know Spock being the person capable of communicating on some psionic or mental level with creatures that yeah,、uh, an that unseen、ability. level of perception that we're not totally tuned into. And I like that it gives little snippets of its own culture that she belongs to a certain church of the transcendent order, which I've totally hijacked. But that's it. Is this was a great story. That was written from a science fiction point of view, that translated itself easily into Traveler, which showed not only the strengths of the Traveler system, but how easy science fiction was a, a field to explore and role playing that had not been completely defined yet. Yeah, and Skitterbuggers was the nickname that、uh, the story gives to people who are like, you know, astro surveys. You know, they're doing geological surveys of planets and star systems,、uh, and you know, determining. You know what's there to make note of, what bears further research,、uh, what information should we quickly gather, move from planet to planet, hopping here and there, skitter bugging. You know they're just bouncing from spot to spot, gathering info and moving on,、uh, which I thought was an interesting name.、Uh, you know I, I don't know where he got it from. Oh、uh, yeah, it's perhaps right, it was a mosquito bouncing from person to person at a picnic. And it well, it says it right here: it's a terrid water bug that walks on water. The skitterbug darts about on bent, spindly legs like a homeless nomad. Its human namesake draws an analogy to its life, darting from star to star, an astral nomad. That's from the introduction to the astrophysical handbook by the L5 Foundation. No, I, I meant what inspired the author to think that up. You know, like was he just looking out the window, or you know, like sitting out there、oh, at a picnic,、yeah. and he sees it, you know, little bugs just doing their thing. He's like, it's good. Yeah, but yeah, if you know, wanted to、good. use this in Traveler per se, if you wanted to be inspired by this, making it a subsection of the Scout Service. Yeah. Now the translating Skitterbuggers into Traveler. That's、uh, the contribution of Steve Winter,、uh, not Gene O'Neill.、Exactly. Right. Yeah.、Uh, but it then highlights the supporting cast of.、Uh, <laughs> yeah. Heel Gel. The, the the light work robot, which like the the team named the All American Boy, because in you know uh, uh, Gene O'Neill's story, you know they've you've got a much closer. Uh, Earth origin dynamic than the Imperium of Traveler,、yep. so just just by way of recommendation, there、uh, it is 
you know, expect if you find this online. Uh, <laughs> there will be some concepts in it that are not Traveler, you know, canonical at all. That does not make it a bad story. It's a good story, and that's why we picked it, because it really stands out amongst the early Dragon Tales as one of the most, I, I think, thoughtful uh, short stories I had read. There's the a lot of good in those, mode. in those early days. And I mean, this is a tribute to, we're going to take a moment out here. Yeah. This is a tribute to Kim Mohan and Tim Cass. Now, Tim Cass was one of the early guys who really wanted to put science fiction tales. He got Gardner Fox and a couple other uh, writers to come in and do some work. But the idea that you wanted to have a high literary presence in Dragon Magazine was carried out by Kim Mohan. Uh, we now have to give our condolences to Kim Mohan, his friends and family, as he passed away. One of the great editors of Dragon Magazine. Yeah, unsung hero, like yeah, doing the actual, uh, the grunt work, the real task of getting this like product finished and onto shelves every month. That was Kim Mohan. Uh, you know, not one of the glory hounds, not one of the big names, not the like the famous cover artists or the regular contributors of articles like you know Moore so many others mohan worked largely in nondescript unappreciated uh, you know silence just making things actually happen was their job and they did it expertly so we yeah you, if you if you have a nod to this like wow dragon magazine back in the day seemed like you know about i think 120 and below you had a really high quality of story. Not to say that uh, the other uh, editors that came afterwards were terrible no, at it, but no. they, they changed the shift of focus. Because at that point, there was um, in about in 1987, 88, fantasy fiction was becoming much more uh, mainstream and widespread. So you didn't have a ra the rarity that you did that kind of, <clears throat> pardon me, that put uh, certain writers in a, a a niche and the only outlet they had was to look for work in fantasy outlets which dragon did help if you look at some of those early tales yeah they were definitely uh, went on to be big names later on yeah you will recognize names in the early dragons and gene o'neill was one of those that science fiction writer been pestering him and it was such a good story that like you know this is just like adventure fic this reads like adventure fiction so yeah we need to do this and yeah, yeah even though they're not shooting the bugs like they do in the Aliens movie. They are encountering a hostile life form and they have to fight and try to survive. Yeah. With what uh, limited tools they have. And the conflict is not intentional, but once it erupts, like it's a contest of survival between two species, one of which has CO2 bombs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, uh, if you're against creatures that uh, generate enormous amounts of heat uh, through their actions, and that's one of their defenses. Uh, and you suck all the oxygen out of the room and you're like, yeah, so much for that. Mm. Take that heat Kind of like it. we do. We do suck the oxygen out. <laughs> so that brings us to the centerpiece, which they usually had a module in every Dragon magazine until Dungeons started. Um, <laughs> we suck the oxygen out of the room like a garbage fire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So here we have that. Yeah, this the article which I, I wanted to like take that moment out before to highlight the wonders of the story. Uh, but that moves us to the actual traveler module, like you mentioned, Exonitus Spaceport, and 
Wow, what a like mound of material contained within. They're not. Let's let's hats off to Dragon Magazine back in the day, once upon a time, because. You got a lot of bang for your buck, okay? This was a $3 magazine, magazine 40 years ago, okay? 40. 40 right now, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, in like in 1982, this came out. This is the end of 2022. This thing was 40 and a half years ago, and it was still three bucks. That was a lot of... That was some loot, okay? Just for price comparison. Uh, man... That that was not the average price of a magazine on a newsstand. You were you were usually in like more like a bucket. Let half. you know, Playboy was two ninety five. Yeah, but that was Playboy. Uh, Dragon Magazine might as well have been Playboy for gamers. Yeah. Uh, well, it did come in a plain brown wrapper. <laughs> it did. Yes. Yes, because some people did not want to be thought of as gamers. Not kidding. Okay. It's our moment to climb into the wayback machine. <laughs> Follow me, Sherman. Yeah. Um, okay, Mr. Peabody. Yeah, once upon a time, uh, it was less socially acceptable than Playboy. Not kidding. Like, yeah. oh, you're a gamer. Oh, my God, what the hell is wrong with you? I, you might as well have admitted that you had a more than passing affection for goats. I, just everything was more respectable than you. And... Um, <laughs> Oh man, you know you you exercised the greatest possible caution in who you like embraced this subject with. Uh, you could get away with being a fan of science fiction. That had a certain plausible like literary yeah, connection. You know, people have like gotten over it. Yeah, you could mention Tolkien and you could mention Star Trek and you know uh, like pulp fiction of yesteryear and adventure tales and like literary sources. But when it started to be clear that, like, oh, you roll dice at a table with other people, you sick bastard. Uh, Just the weird, something about it put people ill at ease. So, yes, Dragon Magazine, once upon a time, was shipped in a plain brown wrapper. So, uh, with this one, you get a a spaceport. Now, this setting is incredibly detailed and like mike says emphatically like wow what a bang for your buck you get this nice roger rock uh, intro piece that shows the spaceport there with in, in full business with a cruiser flying overhead and a couple transport ships and this breaks a little bit from traveler but it does follow the same thing you, you could use this very easily in the, in the imperium it's kind of its own thing but you know they leave it up to you whatever there's a government interstellar government that is undefined it's not specifically the imperium yeah so the objective it, is to leave the dm some wiggle room on how you right yeah they didn't how know. are you going to insert this into your existing campaign because much like RuneQuest in the case of early traveler uh it was like <laughs> you know your traveler may vary and it was understood right from the get-go right. that like not like literally every table is doing something non-canonical there's usually a spin on it somewhere that is not going to match what other people are playing right just part of the the game right so there's a default interstellar government and we're using air quotes on that and this this it is basically over the system of of named for its 
main star, which is Talidi. And uh, the main star is a spectral class, which means it's white rather than yellow. But it's still the same. It's approximate. It's not a brown dwarf. It's a um, spectral class white star, which is still burning pretty hot. And it has a unique feature that it sucks a trail of hydrogen off of the gas giant, Colossi. Yeah, which... And recreates this large vapor trail through the system that kind of uh, S-shapes into the sun. And this was done because that was theorized until we actually saw a system that did this. This was theorized by several planetologists early in the 60s. So this guy was definitely ripping off that. (laughs) That there would be feeder suns that draw off from a gas giant that due to the gravitational mass. Yeah, it was, it was something that was you know, like known to be plausible, but had not been proven. And of course, now here we are 40 years later. Well, all oh, those silly people, they didn't know all that back well, then. Well, yeah. silly people were us. Uh, we didn't know back then. We couldn't be sure. Uh, but we, I think, you know, at least in the nerd literate community, those who were like fascinated by science subjects, uh, we did have the grace to know what we didn't know wow, you know, what else could be? Um, there was a sense of excitement about what might be discovered next down the road because we were continually, like the, the speed with which discover, discoveries were taking place seemed to continually accelerate uh, as we refined a lot of uh, technology involving... Well, we got powerful enough telescopes off the, uh, the telescopes have we just, were able to see. Yeah, when we got the Hubble, that was like big leap forward for what do we know about space? We know it's big. But even know and about there are space. things inside space of is that big. big space. Really big. Vast. Unimaginably vast. Huge even. <laughs> it's really big. You've just got to, you can't believe how big space is. And here we are. Now, yes, and of course, here we are. There's planets in here. So there's a gas giant, there's uh, several ones. And then the Goldilocks world, the third uh, uh, rock from the sun is whole third. And this brings me to like, if you would want to fit this into standard traveler, it's not very hard Just substitute the government, interstellar government with the Imperium and you're off to the races. But here, whole lends itself to a name in the swords world cluster. So I think that fits pretty well. And basically two continents came to war, they used nuclear weapons and now stuff has went wrong with this high port now jeopardized by its main influx by this disruption of a massive war for triggered for unknown reasons that the dm is there to fill out if he wants yeah it, it's the precise mechanisms for this are up to the dm to yeah so each of the syrian nations were jealous and proud of the sovereign status and they were unwilling to unite so factions broke out and then there was one one that came up but it destroyed everything so now the imperium had to send a relief effort a massive one at that to reestablish not only the colony that was there but also support the high port which is massive the high port itself is the main feature yeah exonitus high port uh sorry exonitus station i'm sorry yeah the the point of departure uh it is uh, the liaison i mean if you can imagine something of uh you know Many, many, many times the the size. You're like, <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like it's that big, but like uh, compared it's ten to kilometers long. Yeah, I mean, ten mile or well, sorry, ten yeah, kilometers it, of 
you know, space and taken up by a multi-platform spaceport that can handle all kinds of incoming and outgoing traffic and is basically the lifeline to this planet. And the other hook is, is that liquid hydrogen powers all the fusion engines of ships. So there's a natural stream that they only have to skim into. Yeah. And then they uh, soft drop it onto the planet and it's recovered. And then there's a lifter, a mass driver, that lifts it up into the air and the high port catches it and then distributes it to the tanker fleet that the Imperial Navy uses. And of course, the Imperial Navy has a high presence here now, and they're especially kind of mad about that nuclear war thing. A little, little hot under the collar about that. Yeah, and, and we'd like to make sure you guys put a stop to that. So they sent the battleship, which is named Fair Phyllis. And I used to have like, man, what a name for a ship. Why not the Damocles or the Eradicator or the Dominator? The Beta Male. Oh, I'm sorry. I just the Eradicator. Climbing the knee, squash ladder, one rung at a time. Uh, I'm like, does anybody else remember that? Yes. Yes, you do? Yes. Come on, give me give me the name. What was the show? I've heard the term. Sketch I'm sorry. Sketch comedy team? Oh, yeah, yeah. Kids in the hall. Kids in the hall. I'm going to let you have Kids in the hall. I was thinking the whitest kids you know. <laughs> We're not far from it. I was like, I heard the sketch, but I can't remember. I'm wrong at a time. Oh, yeah, those guys. Kids are, in the hall. Those kids guys in the are hall. so out there. Crushing your head. Crushing your head. Crushing my head. So, anyway, giving back on. Putty in my hands. These business boys. Pushing back on to the the high port. That's the whole thing. There's this naturally occurring stream of liquid hydrogen that's being pulled out by the sun from the gas giant. Imperial ships come in. They skim it off. And they soft land it on the planet for refinement. And then the mass driver lifts it up, which also helps other ships get into orbit. Of course, the battleships and cruisers. This makes this area like ridiculously important uh you know despite like its relative small size and disorganization and obviously a planet has had a terrible war on it uh the conditions here make it possible to project outwards from that region with enormous ease you know? and there's a lot of potential Perfect for adventure stop. and also bringing in medical supplies are at all time high here People are in desperate need of it. There's as Huge a matter of fact, tent cities of like millions of refugees fleeing radioactive waste in annihilated cities, uh, all being relocated into large, very hastily erected, uh, you know, settlements that are allowing them to rebuild uh, with like total and remarkable support from the Paraphyllis and well the Paraphyllis protects the fleet which yeah. is a small fleet of hospital ships there's seven hospital ships here yeah they're which, providing relief so the Paraphyllis sees it now I always wondered about that name and I found out that it was an old Irish ballad hmm. back from the 12th century about a, a shepherdess scene and that when you go seeking her uh she is gone and because the imagination makes her greater than hmm. what she truly, your expectations can never truly be met when, because of how of her imagined beauty that you place upon her, and that sums up a ship after having served. Her, yeah, that, that that's how you feel about her. Beauty ship. is greater in retrospect than it was in reality at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I understand like that. that I understand reference. Yeah, that, that's a deep one. So that's a deep cut. There's a little deep cut for all of y'all. You know we love those. We're we're the deep cut fanatics here. Yeah, and there's a. We're getting close to the break. I'm just going to go. Yeah. There's some nice com- ship comparisons here by Roger Roth. And, of course, they don't fit the standard Traveler. He was just basically free-forming here. But you know what? I, I like it. You do that in Traveler. 
I mean, he did a lot of stuff really well in there. Uh, yeah. Complete with illustrations and relative uh, like size uh, and shape and outlines that like um, a DM can copy or make great use of for yeah. that campaign. And it's it's a really well developed setting for that. And uh, I think as we get close to the break here, I just wanted to make one mention as a contrite is that you know one thing I never got in travelers. Why do you have light cruisers? I mean, you know, in, we had light cruisers because uh, the more armor you stack on a ship in the sea, the slower it gets, and the more uh, the less likely it is to fulfill its role of being a cruiser. And here. You know, I don't know why they're around, but I'm imagining there's some types. And, uh, of course, the battleship itself, I mean, there's, you have to be fearful of it. Because if you ever fight in, encounter a battleship in the wild, look out. There's a reason why a battleship is insistent. And this is the reason why. <laughs> That's the name. I, they didn't name it the Hangout and Have a Chat ship. Yeah, you usually count cruisers and destroyers, mostly in neutral name. But this one it was pretty big, so... Yeah, but uh, we'll take a look at more of the space, the high port, the down port, and uh, move on to some of the highlights in the modules, places of interest, and how to put it into your travel game. So stick around after the break. All right, we're back. So yeah, I took a break uh, before uh, geeking out on uh, ship stuff. But yeah, there's some nice ship porn here. So some nice uh, little eye candy there for you. Oh boy, is it. Uh, um, yeah, Fleet and Presence, figure six, which like scrolls down through the various types of vehicles up to it, including the fuel tankers, which, you know, wonderfully imaginatively developed and yet with an air of what I would consider, uh, you know, creative realism yeah you know rather than being fanciful and way out there you know, like it, things look functional and uh, likely you know very plausible yeah and like they have they goes down to the destroyer the main scale the players are going to interact with is destroyer the scout and the fighter they're quite prominent in here as well but you also see like an electromagnetic uh effects ecm eccm ship which is, of course, the head of the uh, the Interstellar Consulate, who is here to oversee and try to get the various factions on Dirt Side to come together to, and try to come to a peaceful accord to make sure that civilization doesn't completely collapse planet side. Because the High Port is necessary to be able to... They have to send... Uh, they soft land those containers of gas on the planet and has to come up to here to be distributed to the large ships because battleships of uh, the cruisers and hospital ships cannot land oh yeah that it goes without saying that they have are... shuttles and landing vessels that break down their crew and cargo capacity yeah they're never meant to not be in space it's not what they're built for uh, so <laughs> oh, yeah, couldn't you just park it somewhere locally no <laughs> uh you know, envisioning the uh, far future. You know, these are ships that are literally assembled in space. Oh yeah, the the Fair Phyllis is uh, one million tons, metric tons, <laughs> massive. Yeah, batteries uh, bearing on each side, four hundred batteries of various types on each hex. So total, eight hundred batteries of weapon, uh, high class weapons, and <laughs> rail guns. 
lasers, masers, phaser. No. It's, yeah, rail guns, um, masers, and uh, high-end lasers. And Jeez. missile batteries and torpedo launchers. It's just, it's a massive thing. And yeah, you don't want to fight them. You never will fight them. Crew of 38,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But like we, like we were talking about, cruisers are usually more in common when you see an Imperial capital ship because they're so versatile. Now that said, um, the Highport itself has an administ. They have a chain of command, which with the traveler uh, codes, you can de easily determine everybody's stats by just a glance, and they provide here everybody's uh, administration at the High. The Grand Admiral Jennifer Delano is uh, administration four, leader four, liaison two, fleet tactics five, and traveler is yeah, she's ship tactics four, computer two. Yeah, that's quite the skill bundle. Yeah, and uh, with the administrator, administrator five, Adrian Redmond, uh, in equal to her, he has administration five, which is necessary in here, recruiting two, bribery three, <laughs> and streetwise two, which, yeah, he knows to keep the wheels the of commerce. The commerce department guy knows what's really going on, you know, yeah. years to the grindstone. Yeah, and they provide the rest. And also, there's a nice map of the, with the traveler stats all the way through it. And um, so, but going back to the the high port itself, uh, they just they give you one section, just one section uh, that is developed uh, for you to use in your games. So you can use other. There's many other parts that can be put up there. Yeah, the rest that is implied uh, or mentioned casually in like passing reference, uh, the rest is intended, you know, quite pointedly to be something that whatever Game Master, since Traveler was very much dependent on Game Masters being willing to handcraft a lot of their own material, uh, that was normally the case. D&D, uh, &D, for instance, offered a great many modules and a lot of other games, like offered a great many scenarios and campaign packets and things like that. Uh, Traveler certainly issued those but it's always been my impression that as a game and on average, Traveler was a great deal more freewheeling, like the average Traveler game master really had to develop whatever it was that they were going to make use of. They filled in a lot of the blanks on their own. And this module is intended for people to do just that. However, uh, the area they did cover, they covered well. Yeah, they have the promenade and business offices, which have the, um, just as an example, the offices of Dentos, Khan, and Khan. Or as Mike likes to say, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. <laughs> uh, the shipping and resale brokers for travel purposes. This is a plus four broker. Now, just to give an idea, plus four broker is probably <laughs> at the highest end that you would ever encounter. Yeah. This is basically like they have connections in almost every major system. And, uh, uh, and in game mechanical terms, a broker with plus four is of incredible value because like this affects the actual value uh, and security of the kind of contracts that a mercantile interest might receive. Hmm. Like if you're, you know, in a free trader and you're planning to haul goods from one place to another, these are people who will get you terrific contracts. However, they are insanely scrupulous. Like even a whiff of illegality or questionableness will get you tossed right out of here. 
Like, yep, they're incorruptible and in business dealing savage, as the text says. So, you, yeah, if you want to do an illegal gun running to the, some of the uh, oh, terrorist God. bands down on dirt side. Don't ask here. No, but right across the way or down the way, it's Escribaldi. Hey, I hope you got money. I got goods. You got goods. I got money. You pay me money. I'll give you stuff. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really care. Primo <laughs> two for one. <laughs> Slightly used goods. If reselling hot cargo turns out to be unprofitable, however, blackmailing the seller might not be. <laughs> I might not be totally honest. I might just cheat you or turn you into the authorities. I don't know. It depends how it flows out. What seems like it'll make me more money? Yeah, and also they give you some places, but they also have two mercenary companies here that are helping by the Imperium through the contracts. The Turga Lancers and Drake Slashers. So they're uh, founded here. And Although also, they're competing. For, yes. Uh, they are in competition peacefully. Okay. Yes. Pe largely peacefully in different areas of the damaged planet. Uh, waging two different kinds of campaigns. You know, one by extensive control of the ground area. Uh, and like actual, you know, the Turga Lancers... Uh, are doing it with the like expression of power and the relatively, you know, the relative safety that like their control over an area brings. The slashers, Drake slashers, seem to be waging more of the hearts and minds uh, campaign, where like they are coming to the rescue. Like everywhere they ride to the rescue, uh, people are getting medical care and airlifted out of danger or like transported to, you know, safety. At, they're both expressions of a desire to have a permanent, long-term presence on the planet in an influential stake in its upcoming future as it reforms after this calamitous series of events. Yeah, now just so, as an aside, Drake's slashes is a wink and a nod to Hammer Slimers by yeah. David Drake because they have hover tanks. Yeah, and so do they, these fellas. Yep, and so that's what they're big on. Also, there's a good supply store here, which would give you a good place for a template to put in other supply areas. This is more of a um, environmental uh, su survival or a surplus store. Yeah, I and, mean, if you're looking for atmospheric testing gear uh, for radiation badges and, you know, Geiger counters, and, you know, if you're looking for all the stuff to, like, go planet side and scope an area out, you're going to want that stuff. And so the infiltration and clean air and water and all of that. Because, like, you better bring your own because stuff is pretty screwed up down below right now. Now, the other place here is of interest is Workless Port Vest. This is a snobby little restaurant, but it is the place to do deals and impress potential patrons. But you have to have a social standing of nine to even be admitted here. <laughs> yeah, well, it might as well name it Snod Grasses. Yeah, but yeah. it's better than the downside, which is uh, on the downtown uh, area, which requires a social level of 11. But a meal for two here, including tipping and other gratuities, costs upwards of 100 credits. So, yeah. Now, when you consider that, like, only a handful of credits is needed normally to get a meal in Baseline Traveler, that's pretty steep. Yep. And then also here is the Traveler's Aid Society Outpost, which is perfunctory all through there. So, yeah, they just give you one little snippet there how to construct and how this can look. And then they give you the uh, the down port, and then they give you a place in, on the uh, emergency city as well. And uh, each one of these has different types of encounters. 
they have encounter tables for all both in when you come in the system inside the high port and down on dirt side so there's a lot of things that help as well as a d66 encounter table for downport encounters which you know uh, goes from cargo for sale your choice well thanks <laughs> uh, I could have just done that rumor, which is also provided here. Insult and a small bomb placed on your ship. What the heck, traveler? Yeah, there's a terrorist group here trying to make sure that the imperial presence is particularly broken here. Yeah, you are mixed up with and implicated in illegal drug dealings. You know, it's not true, but like, you know, somebody named a name and you got stuck. Uh, all kinds of weird potentially awkward scenarios that like a DM can throw at players and the table was designed to throw as many curveballs in there as possible so that just rolling a dice could like let the shape of the adventure take form on its own uh, or by casually reading through that list let anybody who is a gamekeeper take a peek at that and go hey you know what I'd like to take this concept further than the others. Right, you're not a slave to the dice, you're the yeah. author. You are ultimately the final voice in creativity on this project, so don't be shy. Yeah, and then they have the rumor tables, and uh, they also give you now a sample of typical office suites that you'd find downside in Port in Emergency City. So um, they give you a, a quick template to throw down there for, hey, there's a fight. Okay, I need a map, here you go. Um, and also the planet Holther itself and all the uh, locations of the uh, 119th Heavy Marine Base. Oh, sounds where I was stationed. <laughs> and uh, the Turga Lancers Base, Drake Slashers, and the 40, uh, 27th Marine Base. And uh, yeah, that's also Emergency City and the sites of the nuclear strikes. And... Uh, yeah, the, the two groups, that are the, the terrorist party is the Planetary Independence Party, and they're using this confusion to take over the Spaceport X and Ides and Commando-style guerrilla raids. That is one of the uh, rumors that you find out there, and that's a good one if you just needed to drum up support for if you're running a military-style campaign or you had mercenaries in here, this would be a good one for that. And also, just normal trading travelers. So, what... The reason why this has always impressed me is this just isn't a module or a simple adventure. This is a campaign set. And that just shows the scope of how Traveler translates itself from just like, okay, this is a role-playing game where you can do stuff. This is a whole bag of ideas in one $3 magazine. So, yeah, the yeah, this was just one article in a $3 magazine. And it was, you know, as... Uh, yeah, let's see. It has the gods which... of the halflings, uh, happenings of the great kingdom. Oh, uh, dragons, bestiary, inclusion of new monsters. Uh, you know, just oh, that's right. It had the giants in the earth column. That was yeah, this is the one with the. This is the one with my literary favorite, Sir Roger the Tornaville, the uh, from the main character from um, <laughs> the High Crusade by Poole Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, uh, cantrips. Oh, the arrival of the cantrip as a concept. Uh, the first publication of uh, cantrip. So, yeah, look, in that $3 thing, to have a single traveler module, which then proceeds to be of such scope 
that it nearly quantifies as a complete campaign. Now, obviously, the DM has got to fill in a lot of blanks if they want to make this campaign level play. But you know what? They give you a Commit lot of they give you a lot of ideas and little. You kind of got to anyway. I mean, yeah. it comes with the turf. But they give you a nice setting to base it on. So it really worked out well. And it's one of those things that's like maybe we'll start talking more about Dragon magazines. I don't know. But if you like this and what we did, we're we're down for it. I mean, I like talking about old stuff, and there's nice uh, reviews. I think we're going to do another one. I think I do Dragon 90 with uh, Azer Hammer. Because that's right up my alley of Norse mythology. So uh, if you guys are interested, we'll look at that maybe sometime in the future. But uh, yeah, just let us know, man. Or uh, I would love to dredge up. There's, I believe there's an old Dungeon Magazine module. Or was it Dragon Magazine module? Uh, where the characters are transported to modern day London to steal. Oh, yeah, that's Dragon 100. St. Cuthbert. From a British museum. Dragon 100 has it. <laughs> it's the idea of your characters blundering through modern day London was pretty hilarious to us at the time. So I, I re- remember that one with special fondness. Yeah, I so if you're I wondering. I attempted to DM that once because I loved it so much, but it didn't quite pan out like I'd hoped. Yeah, and a couple of the uh, uh, kids you find <clears throat> in the Northern Ireland settlement want to come with you. It's not Northern Ireland, isn't it? It's London. I thought it was part of the urchins. Uh-huh. The one I went through, they, they completely uh, went to the uh, Lindisfarne Abbey. Mm. But I'm probably uh, remembering somebody somebody else from We had to go into Northern Ireland. Wow. That was fun. <laughs> Northern Ireland, you say? In the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Fireball uh, British SAS. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, oh, Pete. Take that. Oh, well, Aaron Gobrock. <laughs> oh, man. No, I, uh, I I have a great affection in particular for the early Dragon magazines because so many of them were our lifeline to yeah, expanding our ideas regarding what was even possible in gaming. Mind you, you know, like this was 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, you know, that area. As we're moving through the very dawn of the 80s, you know, like you and I were just novitiates, you know, you're just very new arrival gamers. Uh, And, you know, we grew with Dragon Magazine. You know, like every time a new one came out, you know, we learned a little more. Uh, we, We gleaned a few more tidbits of wisdom. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, or learned a new adjudication for an existing spell that we hadn't considered before. Something was always there. And that's why we have, like, a nostalgia may sometimes be poisonous. But in this case, it's less nostalgia and more gratitude. Absolutely. Uh, not just like, oh, wasn't it wonderful back when? More like, thank you. Thank you. Because there is so much we wouldn't have gotten a chance to wrap our heads around had it not been for this yeah and uh you know there's still great traveler modules being produced today this was just a look back and how much they put in there in just what what is it like 10 pages yeah at that for a magazine you got a whole campaign setting that you could run an entire mercantile free trader or mercenary or even navy military adventure yeah Uh, there's a lot of it depends hang 
so much on well, where heck, even with the uh, uh, the uh, consulate there, the imperial consulate. Yeah, you could even have imperial intrigue. Having oh, to compete with true. Those. Yeah, you could you could take it in a very dune like direction. Yes, <laughs> the spice must flow. <laughs> I mean, you got a free source of fuel here. I mean, hydrogen's really rare in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, you're serious. There's only one element more common in that stupidity. <laughs> yeah, but you can't find that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the core difference between stupidity and genius, genius has its limits. So. <laughs> but process liquid nitrogen refined to yeah, the, yeah, the fuel grade. Suitably refined is a different story. Yeah, your ships have skimmers so they can compete, but they're it takes time and it's not the highest grit. You usually have to, you know, it's insinuated that you have to clean out the filters and replace a lot of them yeah. because it's hard in the system. Uh, however, if you want clean burning fuel that does not put great stress and maintenance requirements on your vehicle, then here is a place that can do that for you in bulk quantities. Yeah, it's cheap. So, yeah, and, hey, that's Holland. And also the other gases that come from the, the byproducts of coming out. Yeah. Helium. I mean, you may not think that helium is, oh, it's for pollutants. Well, it's pretty rare. Uh, yeah, actually. It, I mean, it's, it's quite the problem in the helium market these days. Yeah, right? on this planet, because we have a limited resource and it goes into outer space. So, yeah, we mostly use it for balloons, which Dumb you know, people are currently looking at that practice and going, man, we've got to find another way. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I think that's going to do it for us. We talked that subject out, and we hope you appreciate this yeah. little walk to the pages of Dragon Magazine. Yeah, just our little homage uh, to a traveler module that like deserves an examination. Now, uh, acquiring a PDF of Dragon Magazine 59 will allow anybody yeah, you to examine Yeah, you can just uh, type it out. I believe it's Anna Archive has it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's out there to be had. It is public not, domain. I mean, exactly. Has, this is not carefully guarded. You need not dare like the the lair of the Lernian Hydra, you know, with his seven heads of biting at you, and like every time you knock one off, two more grow back in its place. No, don't worry about that. This is all legit. You can pop right in there. Yeah, the uh, public domain has pressed passed into it uh, several years ago, and now it's open content because everybody who has any ties to it has either been paid or has, has been reconciled. That was part of the Wizards Coast settlement and if they haven't, they can still step forward because that offer is open. Yeah. So Gene O'Neill has never republished a skitter bugging. Um, looking on his page, he does mention it with some fondness. You know, he was just work, out of work at the time and uh, he needed to score some uh, sci-fi noob. And he just kept uh, pestering Kim Mohan with it over and over. And finally, they, oh, we don't do science fiction here. Well, you should. Yeah. What's wrong, buddy? I mean, come on. Now, and that's part of why this is also a glory day to us, because it brings to mind very specifically the era in which... Uh, from a literary standpoint, Dragon Magazine was as well known uh, for its variety as it was for its flagship product. And I, I gotta say, as time went on, it became, it fell prey to the same curse as White Dwarf, albeit slightly less so. Mm -hmm. Okay, slightly less so. You know, White Dwarf became just basically a miniatures catalog. Yeah, that, it might as well just be like the. There's no reason to publish multiple episodes. Just, 
you know, maybe do one every six months offering what's up for sale at the moment. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be harsh on them. You should. But Dragon fell prey to a little whiff of the same thing as time wore on. It became very much a house organ, and the door slowly closed. They would accept advertising for, for other companies, but the outflow of... Uh, you know, extensive coverage uh, and creative uh, material for a wide variety of campaigns began to narrow. And, you know, for us, that was kind of like... It was galling. It, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we'd we, always see when they did this We traveler. were spoiled rotten by excellence like this, where you got science fiction, fantasy, and everything else all rolled into one magazine, and you never knew what you were going to get. It was potluck. Like, oh, you could be talking, you know, like science fiction horror uh, next week, or you could be talking, you know, it's, Boot Hill. Yeah, Boot Hill. You know, like Welcome to the Western, uh, you know, sphere. Or you'd have a top secret module now and then. Oh, and they kept it up, but they would get bombarded with letters like, oh, dragon means fantasy. So anything that's not fantasy is bad. And they did finally just like fine. So they had a section called Aries. They, they inherited from SPI yeah. acquisition. So they folded it into the back of Dragon Magazine where they put uh, science fiction, superheroes, some of the, the more modern topical in there, but also yeah. Gamma World. And uh, you know, Dragon was always a huge magazine for your three bucks. That's why it was three bucks. Huge, beefy, thick magazine. Uh, <laughs> center staple. Yeah. So... Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's been a good uh, little romp in the nostalgia pool, but uh, it's time to get ourselves uh, out and dry. So, again, I think that's going to do it for us. We're going to wrap up both. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all, and uh, we'll see you next time. Joyous holiday, good times to all. I hope there's much feasting and family, okay? Everybody be safe out there, and, you know, uh, very soon we will unite one last time uh, before the end of the year. Then we will look forward to 2023. Yeah. All right. All right. Until next time, then. May May the the dice dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.